This, this, this is you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get mad at my Welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm great. Anytime I'm with you, I'm wonderful. Well, that's very kind. I appreciate that. I can say likewise. But you, you didn't. For but it. you didn't. You could, and yet you did not. <laughs> oh my goodness! We are parsing <laughs> words today. I'm just listening to what you're saying. <laughs> well, Ed, I was wondering. You have a lot of work to do. You're president of Southwestern University. Thank you. Thank you. you teach a course during the school year, Thank but you. apparently you also write this president's report for Southwestern I do. every year. I do every year, That's and. Right. Something in the most recent report really leapt out at me. And so I want to just read a couple of sentences and I'd love to hear you talk about this more. So this is from your president's report at Southwestern in 2017. In the decades to come, higher education faces some serious challenges, not the least of which is remaining relevant to the intellectual and creative needs of students who will graduate into a world in which over 65% will eventually hold careers in positions that have yet to be created. Wow. I mean, that first of all, just that statistic kind of boggles the mind that more students than not will wind up working in jobs that we don't even we don't even know what they are. Isn't that fascinating? It's fascinating. It's kind of freaky also. Well, I think it's first of all, I think it's freaky because in my case, I am pathetically old. In your case, you are mature uh, and it's. We are moving into a world that is different from the world that we knew, which I think every generation has experienced. And I think that our technological existence is such that that the speed of that change continues to accelerate. And that's what we're seeing here. So from your vantage point in higher education, what on earth does higher education do to get ready for this? Or, I mean, I don't know. We may be on getting ready. I mean, it's on the horizon. What does higher ed do to adjust to this? Well, first of all, I think there's a mindset. Let's let's step back a little bit, and then I'll go back into higher ed. Okay. But I think there's a mindset for for our society and for our world, which is that this notion that I am going to uh, educate myself formally so that I will have a particular skill uh, that will allow me to do a particular thing – what we're seeing and what the data is beginning to show is that that will no longer be the majority. So if you, you know, always wanted to be an accountant, if you always wanted to be a nurse, and if you always wanted to, you know, uh, be a welder or, or whatever, a mathematician, um, th- the truth is that uh, I think that those opportunities are going to start to shrink. And again, this is something that we're not familiar with because that was not our world, right? Little kids wanted to be firemen and policemen and doctors and lawyers or whatever. And then they, a lot of them would grow up and become them. I think today, uh, young people are uh, faced with the challenge of saying, I'm going through my formal education, including college or you know, whatever, community college or, or, or a baccalaureate program. And 
And I'm not 100% sure of what that job is, what that vocation is, what that calling is going to be that's going to allow me to have a a rich and uh, fulfilling life. And I don't mean rich in terms of dollars, but in terms of feeling good about the work that you're doing. And that, to me, is a dramatic departure from where we've been. And so now, what does formal education do about that? Well, I mean, of course, we're sitting pretty at Southwestern University and at the other um, liberal arts institutions because... The truth is what we need in this age of obsolescence are people who are um, able to have a creative and intellectual agility to be able to ebb and flow through this ever-changing environment. And so therefore, I need people to be as effective as they can be in terms of their creativity and in terms of their thinking. So we need to teach people how to be more effective thinkers and how to be more effective uh, creators of new ideas and to be able to embrace new ideas as quickly and effectively as possible. And and, and you do that, and then all of a sudden, now you can, you can move into these vocations that don't even exist today and not even be nervous about it. Then it becomes exciting. It's like, well, I'm equipped to think about anything. And so now I'm going to think about that. Is that a hard message to get across, though, to, say, parents or even students who say, yeah, but I, I'm i going to have to know how to, you know, dot, dot, dot. I'm going to need need these skills. I may not even know what they are. And it sounds like I'm, I can't get that in college if all I'm, I'm this is in quotes, if all I'm doing is sort of learning how to think. How do I then go get a job if all of my resume says is I know how to think? I mean, it, I'm I'm imagining that some very practical fears st- can start creeping in. Absolutely, and that's because of that we are at this razor's edge in moving from a one type of world and culture to this newer one. And so, of course, we're not familiar with it, and so it does sound scary. So, absolutely, I think um, students w- will will have this concern for 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 maybe about a dozen years or so until we're, we live into that world. And certainly parents and family members will definitely have the concern because also they're paying for higher education uh, more typically than the student. And so uh, I think these are, and these are fair questions. And I think that we have to be able to articulate a perspective. Now, just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we don't teach um, subjects anymore. But I'm saying, and and we've talked about this many times, instead of thinking about the subject, which ends at the subject, it's really about thinking through the subject. So as you probe the depths of, of the knowledge base and go deeper in your understanding, you're also practicing a way of thinking that can be applied to something else long after you're done, say, with calculus. Because you've maintained, and I can certainly say from personal experience, it's true that some Perhaps some of the material I learned in college I didn't exactly retain. I would say that <clears> you're <throat> being very modest. And in fact, 99.9% <laughs> of most material most students do not retain. And that's fine. But let's acknowledge it and then find important things that we can offer our students through their formal education to allow them to grow and flourish rather than just fill them with these kind of either uh, technical kind of um, skills that will become obsolete or with facts that they're going to forget. So one skill that I think is never obsolete is um, working on and solving puzzlers or trying to solve the puzzler. <laughs> Last times was strange. Uh, you say strange. I was going to say cool. I thought it was very fun. It's a little bit. It's a little bit different. So remind us sure. what last week's puzzler was. So I, I shared last week that I uh, 
read something that I just did not know before, and I thought it would make a fun little puzzle or riddle. And that is that when we go into a store and we buy something for 99 cents or we buy something for $9.99 or $99.95, that the reason why it's not a dollar or $10 or $100 is because uh, it just sounds, mathematically, it sounds much, you know, much, much cheaper. Uh, And I read recently, and now it's been a couple weeks, that in fact, that's not historically where that came from. And so my question to to our listeners and to you, Jennifer Staten, is do you have a guess as to historically where that really did uh, or originate? I love this puzzler. And I what happened was when you were giving it to us last week, I jotted down two ideas and I said, I'm going to go off. I'm going to kind of think mm-hmm. about them and see. Yes. I didn't come up with anything better. I see. So your so initial thoughts are the I'm, ones you're going to go with. Go, I'm going to go with my gut and, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go with the one that seems more likely to me, but I do have a backup. Okay, go So ahead. I reserve the right. Can we hear both? And then I'll tell you if you okay. them. Are, I think so the first hear this. one that I, that I think may be the correct one is I think it may have something to do with I'm going to say sort of old-fashioned or old-timey like cash registers or adding machines that had to do with how many digits. So if you're at 999, that's a, that's three digits. So I'm thinking of, you know, cash registers. But $10 is four digits, four mm, placeholders. I see. 99.99 is four digits. $100 is five. So I'm wondering if it had something to do with the capacity and mechanism of okay. cash registers way before, sure. obviously, the digital age. And so what's your second guess? Second, <laughs> the second one, I think, is less likely. But <laughs> I wondered if it had something to do with calculating tax and that when you calculate mm. a tax on that, it comes out to kind of a nice round number. I, I didn't do the math, but like, you know, $10.50 or something. I, I don't see. know. That one's less likely. But that was the other thought I had is that, is that there's some ultimate goal that makes it easier to work with the number when you start with 999. Sure. Well, I love, I think I love both guesses because they really are creative and thoughtful. But I, I, I sense I'm getting a vibe that they're both um, not correct. Well, I actually, <laughs> the, the first one is pretty close. Oh, okay. Um, because uh, apparently, uh, according to what I read, uh, the shop owner, so the old cash registers, you're absolutely right. You push those things down, it makes that noise. Ding, ding, you yes. know, ching. And this is really a long time ago. Uh, that they were afraid that if it was just a dollar or $10, $100, the cashier, the person that's actually kind of running that, that cash register could pocket the money and there'd be no record of it. Oh. But if it were 99 cents, they would have to, they have to make change. They have to put in the and then pull it to give the penny out. And so there would be a record of it because that's the only way the register would open. Oh, interesting. And so for ten, you know, $9.99, then there has to be a penny returned. And so you can't pocket a $10 bill or a $100 bill or a $1 bill. That's what I read, which I found fascinating. That is fascinating. But you were right that it has to though, do with the technology of the, of the old, um, the old uh, cash register and using that as a mechanism to make sure that, that people aren't going to steal from the owners of the store. Well, and I think you've broken new ground in the emerging field of historic Puzzlers. Puzzlers. <laughs> okay, good. I well, that. I'll I see if that. I can get some more. Oh, great, great. I sure. look forward to some more. Um, so, Ed, just as we wrap up our discussion about this statistic that you cited in a report that um, there's coming a time when students are going to be graduating into a world and 65% of them are going to hold careers in positions that don't even exist right now or at the time they're studying, we've been talking about it from the student's perspective, but I'm curious about from teacher and faculty perspective, because that also requires a a bit of a shift, I would imagine, on the part of teachers, if they're thinking 
towards the future in, in this world. Well, and this gets back to the point that we made earlier that for families and parents, this is much more vexing and complex than it is for our actual students. And I think that's exactly true here, too. I think that it is really going to challenge educators to rethink what happens in the classroom, what happens outside the classroom, what defines a classroom, what does that look like, what does that space look like, how does that space feel, uh, what happens you know, during that time period, what should that time period be. It raises very existential and fundamental questions. Not that I think that they'll will become a time, at least in the in the next 50 or so years, where we dispense with formal education. Uh, but uh, how to redirect our efforts to prepare students for their futures. And, I, and I'm not talking about career preparedness, although lots of formal education focuses on that, but I'm talking about just a preparedness to live in a new world, a new frontier, where in fact the the world around us keeps changing, including uh, our own vocations. And I think that that will be a great, I think it's a great challenge today for educators. It's a great challenge for, for me and, and, and for my colleagues uh, throughout the nation, but it will continue to be a great challenge until we are used to that space, where in fact it becomes very comfortable where things people move around and and then I wonder what happens to educators will they will we be moving I mean will the future you know math professor uh be doing math for a little while and then do something else for a little bit I mean uh it boggles the mind to wonder or you'll be a robot not you personally but teachers uh, well so so there's a topic for <laughs> a future conversation future conversation it it occurs to me that just as we wrap up here that part of the challenge for someone in a position like yours is to make that challenge exciting or something to be embraced and anticipated rather than something to be feared and think, oh my God, I'm you know, I'm not gonna have a job. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to teach. I'm not gonna be able to explore my subject. But to frame that as like, but wait a minute, this is actually an opportunity, not something to fear. I I am so fortunate that I am a member of a community at Southwestern University where the the educators are truly open to think about things new. Usually educators are the most um, conservative uh, in terms of moving off of what they're used to in terms of the classroom, how they teach, what they teach, and so forth. And and I uh, have a, uh, faculty colleagues who are so open to think about this that when we changed our curriculum, this is the first year that we're living in a, a new curriculum, and we have this truly interconnected curriculum where we're literally faculty in every single class are challenging their students to make thinking connections and creative connections with the thinking process from, from our class to something else, to literally show those practices of making those connections. We call that uh, truly interconnected curriculum at Southwestern University, paideia, which is the name of a you know, Greek word that means the kind of the creation and education of yourself. But what it really means is that really it's they're no longer just teaching the facts and the dates and the algorithms and the methodologies, but they're also on top of that teaching uh, – ways and practices of analysis, creativity, and thought that actually transcend the subject itself. And to me, that's really exciting. And so, you know, I, I suggest all educators, uh, uh, you know, kind of embrace new ideas like we're embracing them. Well, Ed, thank you for helping us embrace new ideas. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can always find more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org. You can also find us on iTunes. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. Right.